Greetings film fans and welcome to the very first episode of the following feature podcast. Each week I'm going to be bringing you through the latest movie news and reviews. Basically we'll be catching up on casting news, any information regarding productions on films that I think are pretty cool, and let's let's be specific straight off the bat here. This is about stuff that I think is cool and hopefully that you'll think is cool as well. So we'll be doing news on films and we'll also be doing reviews and uh, basically the way I want to set up the film reviews on this podcast, um, obviously theatrical releases, I'm at the cinema as much as possible and dear God, if there's one thing that I'm missing right now in this whole situation, it's the cinema. I mean, there's something kind of, I don't know, traditional, yeah, sure, but just something Wonderful about just sitting there in a dark room, big bag of popcorn or, you know, box of popcorn, whatever the hell it is they serve it in, you know, soft drink, and just to watch something happen. Uh, you know, a cinematic experience is one that I've always enjoyed since a child. And yeah, I, I, with all the lockdown, I mean, I, <laughs> I miss the cinema more than I miss my friends, if I'm, if I'm really honest. Uh, my friends, you know, I love them. I love them all. And... I'm looking forward to spending time with them, but I can't sit and listen to my friends talk for two and a half hours like I can watch a bunch of superheroes fly around a screen for two and a half hours um, without any interaction from myself, if you know what I mean. This doesn't make any sense. I'm sounding like a bit of a bastard right now, but hey, that's me. Um, so yeah, as this is the first episode, as I say, we're going to be doing reviews, um, theatrical releases, not so much right now. Uh, I'll also be doing reviews for films that are released on streaming platforms. So, uh, you know, one of the films was always going to be like a Netflix film or a Prime film or maybe on Skybox Office or one of the others. I, I don't have Disney Plus, but um, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm up to date with most of the Disney movies that are coming out. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. And also, I'm trying to, I'm going to try to make sure that um, at least one of my reviews and yeah, the third review is most of the time it's going to be a hidden gem, a film that you may have missed or just may have slipped by under the radar that I think people need to pay attention to, people need to watch. Um, and most of the time that's going to be my independent choice. Um, but if not, there's always going to be one independent choice because uh, I'm, I'm a bit of an amateur filmmaker myself. I've worked in the industry for a few years now. And for me personally, I, you know, as much as I'd love to go to the cinema and see these big releases, I spend a lot of time just sat on the internet and searching for small films that have been released that might pique my interest, might just kind of raise an eyebrow or two, and just, you know, something different, something that not everyone would have heard of, and something that I might have missed if I hadn't looked a little bit deeper. Uh, so I'm going to save you the trouble of doing all that dig-deeping, and, and dig-deeping, or deeping, deep-digging, one of those. One of those is the answer, people. Um, I'm going to try to show you films that maybe you wouldn't have normally seen, maybe you'd never have seen if I hadn't pointed out to you. That's that's what I really want to get out of this. And, and for me, that's a personal joy. I've, I've always been pushing films on friends and family, and I've always been trying to make them watch films that they wouldn't normally see. Um, films that they're not by a famous director, I don't have any famous actors in them. Someone who's really kind of chancing it. Um, the one we're going to be talking about today, actually, is a fantastic example of uh, an independent filmmaker. Um, who managed to raise funds through a Kickstarter fund and went on to win several awards. Um, yeah, fantastic filmmaker, but we'll get onto that later on. Um, but yeah, every week 
I'm going to be here. I'm going to be taking you through this. Um, hopefully we can enjoy some movies together. Um, you can recommend some to me. I'll recommend some to you. And we'll try to get through this whole lockdown situation together with a little bit of entertainment, a little bit of fun, uh, a little bit of banter, because you'll you'll soon find out I don't really take myself too seriously. And I don't think in this world that it's, it's a really good idea to take yourself too seriously. Um, there's a lot of serious things going on right now, but... Um, you know, like Eric Idle used to sing, uh, you've always got to look on the bright side of life. And um, it's not easy, uh, but hopefully, if you're having a bad day, bad month, or just bad year, let's face it, 2020 hasn't been great. How did it start off? Um, oh yeah, Australia was on fire. Um, and then we all died. So, but murder hornets haven't made it to the UK yet. Uh, and I do have to say yet, because God knows. I mean... Really, the way things are going. Remember that time, was it 2016, when all the celebrity died? All the celebrities died. Um, we thought that was a pretty sucky year, but... I don't know. I get the feeling we're going to be talking about 2020 for a while. And you know what? I'm already sick of it. So, let's crack on. Let's, uh, let's get on with the movie news, and uh, let's see what's going on in the world of cinema. Okay, the first bit of news that I've got to bring up is regarding the Scarface reboot. Now, I wasn't even aware there was going to be a Scarface reboot. And let's just be clear, I'm not talking about the 80s one, which was a reboot. The original Scarface, the story of an immigrant coming to America and making good in a kind of terrible way, um, that was a film that came out, I think, I think in the 30s. I'll have to look that up. Good. I, I really could have done some more research, but hey, you know, first time out. Give me a chance. Um... Anyway, the uh, the one the Scarface that we all know and love is the uh, Al Pacino. Um, is it Brian De Palma? Yeah. Again, no research, just winging it here, people. But yeah, huge film. It really made a name for Al Pacino. Um, really kind of set him out. I think before that he was more of a kind of theatrical uh, actor. Um, hadn't done much cinema work or, or screen work, um, and it really really made a name for him. It's still a film that everyone loves to this day. You look at anybody who's a fan of gangster rap for a start off, and I don't know how that association came in, um, but it's just the ultimate gangster was um, your man there in the Scarface films. And everyone had the t-shirt, everyone had the poster, everyone had the DVD. You know, I've watched the film a number of times myself, but um, I never really kind of saw it as uh, something that defined me. What am I talking about? You, if you know anyone who's um, basically trying to put themselves across as, as a bit of a gangster rapper, um, and, and I'm talking about mainly people who have absolutely no rap skill or ambition whatsoever. I'm not talking about actual gangster rappers. I'm just talking about those guys. You know what I mean? Um, anyway, what the hell am I talking about? Scarface is being remade again. The third version of Scarface um, is actually being uh, directed by Luca Guadagnino. Guad it's was it G U A D A G N I N O Guadagnino. Guad anyway, the director most famous for the film "Call Me by Your Name" uh, has been uh, brought in to direct the new version of Scarface um, and the script. This is the bit that really jumped off the page for me in regards to relevant news or, or just interesting news in, in regards to this sequel um, because you expect it to be some kind of over-the-top action gangster movie but um, 
believe it or not, there was a deeper underlying message uh, in the film in regards to um, an immigrant coming to America, uh, trying to do right, um, but can't help but do wrong. Um, and to get an interesting director in, I mean, uh, Call Me By Your Name um, with, uh, I think it's Timothy Chamolet um, and Army Hammer. Um, a very poignant story, a very character-driven story um, where we really got to get to know the people on the inside. Um, and I really think that, you know, this director can really kind of bring that out of the, the main character. But what I find really interesting, and as I say, the bit that really popped out for me was the script has been worked on by the Coen brothers. Hello? Where the hell did that come from? If you told me, like, 10, 20 years ago that they would eventually end up remaking Scarface, but the Coen brothers were working on the script, I wouldn't know what to make of that. They've made some really interesting films. If you're not aware of who the Coen brothers are, you've just got to look at films like Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? The Big Lebowski, Fargo, um, what else? Inside Llewellyn Davis, Hail Caesar, um, The Lady Killers. Well, let's not talk about The Lady Killers. That was a remake they did. And um, if that's anything to go by, they're, they're not great for remakes. Although saying that, True Grip, my God, that was unbelievably good. Absolutely fantastic. Um, remake of the John Wayne classic it was actually a book obviously um, John Wayne played Rooster Cogburn back in the uh, I think it was in the 50s or the 60s um, and the role was reprised by uh, the wonderful Jeff Bridges um, and yeah he did a fantastic job um, so the Coen brothers are great for, for doing amazing character driven films with um, some wonderful dialogue uh, and they really kind of have a way of bringing characters to life making them individuals making them pop uh, making them memorable so or memorable so yeah looking forward to hearing a bit more about that uh in, in regards to casting no one's actually been cast in the film yet but there are rumors going around and people that's what we're here for isn't it we're here for the rumors um well the first actors to be uh, tied in uh, was actually michael b jordan interesting choice um not really what i would expect I don't know if that would work necessarily um, and I don't know if he'd really be interested in going down that kind of playing um, uh, like a, a drug dealing gangster I just I'm not sure that would really suit him right now but he's not in the running anymore anyway so that's that's fine um, another actor that has been uh, was previously linked but now it's apparently is no longer involved in the project was Diego Luna now Diego Luna is um, a South American actor who's probably most famous. I mean, he's done a, a bunch of different films um, uh, in uh, South America. and But he, he's most famous for um, Rogue One, a Star Wars story uh, where he played Cassian Andor, um, a character that was uh, so popular, in fact, that they're looking to make a TV series based on him and his trusty sidekick, um, your man there, the big robot. Oh, my days. K2SO. I can't believe I forgot that. Um, I actually worked on that film myself, so I, I, sh I should I should know everything. Um, that's the worst thing, is when someone asks you about a movie and you know nothing about it, they're like, what? weren't you involved somehow? Well, anyway, the point is, uh, Diego Luna was linked with the role, and to me personally, that's a fantastic piece of casting. He is a very good... Um, He's very good at playing characters that are on the edge, that are are willing to do anything and, um, you know, 
they've got a lot of determination, a lot of self-confidence and tenacity. I really think his acting style and the kind of roles that he's played in the past, I think will lend really heavily to um, Scarface. Unfortunately, though, he has taken himself out of the running. Um, if you're going to ask me who I'd like to see in the role, dear God, I cannot really say for sure. Um, but I'd really like them to go a bit outside the box. I'd like them to find someone, like they did with Al Pacino. Um, I mean, he that wasn't like his biggest break. Uh, I mean, he had a few other things going on, and God knows The Godfather probably did more for him uh, as an actor than Scarface did. Uh, although Scarface has, you know, well, that's just Pacino. I mean, Carlito's way. Everything everything he's done has, has turned to gold pretty much. Um, I, th I feel like I've just said that way too quickly, and I need to rethink some of the terrible films he did. Uh, because I, I, I often say that about Robert De Niro as well, that he's, he's done no wrong. But then there was that Rocky and Bullwinkle film. Um, that, yeah. Bobby, we've... Mm, we, yeah. Never mind. You've done great things, so we'll forgive you. Uh, but anyway, that's all we really have on the, on the re reboot of Scarface at the moment. But as soon as more information comes through, I'll be sure to share it with you. Um, talking about Michael B. Jordan, though, uh, he has actually been uh, signed up to work on the new Danny Boyle film, Methuselah. Now, it's a, it's a biblical epic story, as some of you may already know. Um, I'm not a Bible stories guy myself, but um, it's a story of a man who lived to 969 years old. Although, apparently, that's not going to be the story they're going with. And, to be honest, the fact that they're moving away from the actual biblical story means I've got absolutely no idea what this film is going to be about. But it's Danny Boyle. And Danny Boyle... Danny Boyle is one of those directors that, when you talk about him, you've, you can't just go, oh, you know, Danny Boyle, Slumdog Millionaire, etc. You, you really kind of have to break down a lot of his films because... He's a very diverse director. There isn't a, a specific genre that I think that um, you could associate Danny Boyle with. He's done rom-coms. Um, he's done zombie horror. Uh, he's done sci-fi horror. Um, he's done everything. I mean, train spotting. I mean, I know that was a, a book adaptation, but he's, he's just, he's a very, very talented director. And I'm very excited about seeing what he does next. His last film, Yesterday... Uh, the story of the um, the young lad who got hit by a bus and woke up as the only person in the world that can remember the tunes of the Beatles. Uh, I watched that at the cinema and I thought it was very charming. I absolutely loved the film. Um, not necessarily one I'd go back to in a hurry. Uh, but yeah, as an experience, I really enjoyed the film. Um, Himesh Patel is the lead actor in that film. And uh, he's someone that started out in British soap opera about, I want to say, like 15 years ago. Uh, but he's a very talented British actor, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what else he can do. So it's great to get him in that lead role. The crazy thing is, he's also in the uh, the show Avenue 5 on Sky 1, in a small kind of almost background role. And to see him take that kind of role in the TV show, I mean, it, you know, these things are probably filming at the same time. You never really anticipate what's going to happen with a film's success. I mean, you look at Slumdog Millionaire, Dev Patel, again, a TV actor from, uh, I think it was Skins, um, you know, he'd been making his way into the, the world of movies, but he wasn't a huge name. And uh, Danny Boyle, you know, he made that film uh, in anticipation of it being a straight-to-video release. But, um, yeah, the reviews were so good 
that it had to go full theatrical and um i mean it swept up it did fantastically well that's probably one of his highest grossing films of all time if you take into consideration uh the budget that he had um so yeah danny boyle making a biblical film with michael b jordan i'm interested i'm interested to see what it's all about um it's a warner brothers film and uh they are apparently looking to make it into a franchise don't really know what they mean by that um whether they do a whole series of biblical films um uh, yeah i mean that could be good it all depends on just how you go about it and what is the message you're really trying to get across uh you know it's it's a difficult subject but if you look at noah uh with russell crowe and ray winston that film was a little bit all over the place but you, you can't help but say that you were gripped it was a very epic uh film not one i've gone back to again um i don't really feel compelled to watch it again um and that's that's that for me that's a, the mark of a good film like I think the best films in the world are the ones that you can put on straight after watching and enjoy it just as much, if not more, the second time round. But those kind of films are rare. I think one of the only times I've actually done that with a film, well, the, the film that I've done that with most, uh, which may come a bit of a surprise, um, Black Dynamite, the uh, Michael Jai White film. Uh, it's a comedy spoof. It's kind of send-up of Shaft, but it's also a send-up of Dolomite, uh, the old Rudy Ray Moore films. Um, which were terribly, terribly produced, like really, really awful, but hilarious and fun B movies uh, that really made a name for Rudy Ray Moore or his, um, uh, you know, doppelganger, doppelganger. What have I talked about? His alter ego, Dolomite. Um, yeah, Black Dynamite was a send up of that, and it was fantastic uh, as a spoof. We don't get a lot of spoofs these days, um, and when we do, they're quite crass and just kind of gross out comedies. Um, I think we got the Farrelly brothers to thank for that. They did a series of gross-out comedies in the late 90s, early 2000s, and uh, it just kind of saturated the market, and it, it just kind of spoiled the whole spoof genre. Um, but, yeah, I, I kind of wondered as well if, after Leslie Nielsen died, whether we can really have spoof films. I mean, it seemed like a, a, a policy that if you're going to make a spoof, that you had to at least throw Leslie Nielsen in like a, as a cameo. Anyway, I digress. Uh, seriously, I digress. What the hell was I talking about? Oh yeah, biblical films. Um, they can work if they're done right, but uh, like I've never, I've never brought myself. I, I've never been able to sit down and watch the Passion of the Christ. It's. Uh, I don't really know what to think of that film necessarily. Um, a lot of people have described it as uh, torture porn, uh, which uh, I mean, you know. Yeah, I, I I really, I haven't heard good things about it. Uh, and as M Mel Gibson and his whole situation with, um, let's say, just say his, his viewpoint on certain religions kind of affected my ability to watch that film with an impartial point of view. Um, so maybe I'll watch it one day. Maybe I should just watch it out of curiosity, just so I've got a, a, an educated opin opinion, you know. Um, but let's get back to the news. Because uh, there's still more more movie news to come. Furiosa. Now, if anyone saw Ma Mad Max Fury Road with Tom Hardy, you'll know that one of the standout parts of the film was the character Furiosa, played by Charlie's Theron. Um, so popular, in fact, that they've greenlit a prequel um, explaining who Furiosa is and how she came to be. Um, and 
mainly that was based on the fact that Charlize Theron did such a fantastic job in that that film. Um, she's a fantastic actress, anyway. But um, for that one, it was it was something that we don't normally see her do, and you know she is good for uh, playing a diverse amount of roles. Um, I mean, she she really came to light after Monster, um, and it's strange you watch that film now. You see the way she looked. I mean, she put on a hell of a lot of weight. Um, I think she shaved her eyebrows off. Uh, really transformed herself into the, the character and was absolutely fantastic. And you wouldn't look at her in that film now and, and side by side with one of her red carpet pictures, for example, and say that is the same person. Even if she was there with the pictures insisting, you'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. So anyway, the big news about Furiosa is... It will not be starring, starring Charlie's Theron. Now, that's immediately makes me wonder, why would you bother? Because it was her performance that really made that character stand out in the film. So, what, what, what are you doing? Um, but apparently the story is that um, they wanted to show uh, Furiosa as a, a young girl and how she came to be the, the powerful woman that she is. And uh, they did consider de-aging Charlize Theron, but uh, despite improvements that have been made with films like The Irishman, for example, um, they weren't too confident that they could do a really good job with it. So they decided to recast the character with a younger actress. Now, there's no word yet on who that's going to be, but the fact that it's not Charlize Theron means that I'm now totally... Well, I'm anticipating a totally different movie. Um, I do have uh, high hopes for it still, because... Let's face it, um, when they brought back, Mad, brought back Mad Max Fury Road, um, they changed Max, Mad Max himself. Um, I mean, they, they chose Tom Hardy, so bravo. You know, if someone told me beforehand, they're going to bring back Mad Max, but what would you think if they replaced Mel Gibson with Tom Hardy? I would just stand up and start applauding, because that's a fantastic idea. And boy, did it work. He was absolutely fantastic in that film. And it was a really, really good film. They could have done so much to spoil that that film and uh, tarnish the franchise um, more than Tina Turner's hairstyle ever could. But they, they did it. I mean, all right, it was the original director making it. So that's, that's something. But um, yeah, really loved Fury Road. Um, was really looking forward to Furiosa. I still am, but now I don't really know what kind of film we... We, we should expect. Anyway, as soon as I have more information on that, I will let you know. Now, uh, in other film news, um, another... Well, basically, what we need to discuss now is films that we were anticipating the release, in, anticipating the release of that we now have to wait a little bit longer for. And uh, one of those is the sequel no one asked for, Matrix 4. Um... To follow up to uh, 2003's trilogy ending Matrix Revolutions. Um, I say trilogy ending, trilogy destroying. Um, let's face it, Matrix, fantastic film. Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions. Yeah, um, they, they came out, didn't they? Jeez. I mean, it's just it was just too much. Um, one of the things I find is that if you give directors no money you'll see their imagination come to life. And that's usually when something special happens. But then if you immediately after that ask the director to make the same thing, but with 
like a blank check, basically. Do what you like. Here's all the money in the world. What you usually get is is someone just kind of. I, I'm not saying that they were massaging their own egos, but I think they were looking to see what they were capable of, and that kind of discovery in a film, like midway through a trilogy, I don't know. It just there was there was too much going on in those films. There was too many, like um, set pieces with not a really, you know tangible storyline to kind of follow along i mean there was a story of sorts but it was so over the top and so profound that you just kind of got lost in all the kind of over articulated dialogue and just everyone trying to be a little bit too shakespearean at times with just general i mean there's a ship coming towards you really fast and you expect people to go holy fuck there's a ship coming we need to get the fuck out of the way but instead they're like Oh, what matter of travesty is coming before me now? It's like, ah, Jesus Christ. I remember just cringing all the way through those films in the cinema. I loved the action sequences, that whole thing they did on the highway. Amazing. Um, but even now, the CG doesn't really stand up too much because we can, we can see it too much, you know? Um, with the first film, they kind of mixed in the CG just enough to make you... Just to kind of have, have a bit of poignancy on certain moments where you, you felt like reality was being bended or just kind of warped in some kind of strange way. But it, was, it wasn't it was all the way through the film. It was just at those poignant moments, just to kind of pack a punch. Um, and it really did work. But their whole idea for Reload and Revolutions was, don't just pack a punch. Let's just go windmilling into the fucking audience and just see how many of them can put up with this bullshit. I, I really... You know, I've watched the film since and there are still parts of them that I really enjoy. But once I get past the first film, I have to adjust the way I'm sitting and think, right, here we go. But anyway, Matrix 4 is being made. Um, Carrie Ann Moss is back. Keanu Reeves obviously is back. Um, I mean, you know, it had to be really. I was kind of hoping if they ever brought the Matrix back that they would kind of go off in a different direction. And they would look at somebody else's story and just kind of, you know, explore the rest of the world of the Matrix. Um, I always hate that when people try to revisit franchises and be like, okay, let's go back to that one person, the only person that we've fucking followed throughout the whole thing. And it's just, worlds can be expanded. And that kind of, I don't know, broader world that they live in can, can add more depth to the stories that you're telling. And I just feel like, when they announced that old Neo's back and Trinity's with him, I'm like, well, of course, you know. But it is a Wachowski film, um, and we, apparently they are going to do something quite interesting. Um, I don't know. They've they've kind of been hit and miss for me, the Wachowskis. I mean, Jupiter Ascending. I st I'm still not entirely sure I understand what that film was about. I got the gist. But there's so much going on that you kind of feel like, sort of, am I missing something here? Um, I, I don't know. But I mean, it, it was fun, but I think for all the wrong reasons. Anyway, Matrix 4 is being made, um, but it has been pushed back. Um, obviously, all films have ceased production during this coronavirus pandemic. Um, but they are looking to resume filming in July. So hopefully that will happen. Um, hopefully that there won't be uh, another spike. Hopefully that the situation will get better and we can start seeing these films going back into production and start working again. Me, personally, I'd love to get back into work. 
um, as much as I'm enjoying my uh, re-familiarisation with my Xbox, um, and as much as my dog is loving the extensive walks and attention, I, I really want to get back to work as soon as possible. So hopefully, uh, yeah, Matrix filming should uh, resume in July, and um, oh yeah, one of the film, one of the, one of the cast members that have been announced that I am intrigued by, um, and it does give me a little bit of hope for some strange reason. Neil Patrick Harris, yes, Doogie Howser himself. Uh, <laughs> this is the thing. To most people, they won't know who Doogie Howser is, but um, Neil Patrick Harris has been on our TV since he was like seven years old or something, um, and. Yeah, he's he's a fantastic actor. He's he's done some, you know, odd films in the in the past. Um, personal favorite has to be Starship Troopers. Um, absolute classic B movie. B uh, movie. I mean, it's literally exactly what you expect from a B movie. Um, alien bugs uh, are fighting humans. You know, it's and it's as cheesy as you like, but Paul Verhoeven, who you'll get to know through this podcast is um, someone I have a, a, a very, very soft spot for. That sounds kind of weird. But yeah, anyway. Neil Patrick Harris is going to be in Matrix 4. Don't really know what the film's going to be about yet, but you know what they're like. They're going to keep that absolutely secret until the trailers drop, and then we're going to learn 90% of the plot from the trailers, and then we're all going to sit in the cinema and go, well, it was pretty. It looked nice. Yeah. Top Gun. Top Gun Maverick. That's another sequel that we're looking forward to. Um, but unfortunately, and, and this is going to be the rest of the news now, pretty much. It's just that uh, it has had to be pushed back a little bit. Um, we're now looking... I think it's been pushed back almost two years already now, but uh, we are looking to get that finally released um, by Christmas. Um, no real kind of word on the plot yet. I mean... I take it he's taken over as one of the Top Gun instructors and maybe he's got a situation where he's got to come out of retirement. Uh, you know. Sorry, I'm just getting a reminder on my laptop. Very loud one for a football game which isn't happening. I don't know how the hell I managed to leave those switched on. Anyway, I digress. Um, Top Gun Maverick coming out Christmas. Um, don't really know what it's about yet, but um, yeah, uh, Tom Cruise films usually about guy really good at something, uh, has a tragedy, shake confidence is shaken, girl comes into his life, turns it around, he becomes a hero. If you don't believe me, go onto YouTube and watch Rich Hall talk about Tom Cruise films. He breaks it down fantastically. Um, uh, like Top Gun, yeah, he's a fighter pilot, probably one of the best fighter pilots. Um, and tragedy strikes. Uh, he has a lack of confidence. Girl comes into his life, brings his confidence back, and he becomes the hero. Um, then Days of Thunder. He's a race car driver. Great race car driver. Probably one of the best. Then tragedy hits. And he suffers a lack of confidence. And girl comes into his life, gives him, gives him his confidence back, and he becomes the hero. And he's a cocktail waiter. Really good cocktail waiter. Probably one of the best. But then tragedy hits. He suffers a lack of confidence. And a girl comes into his life. Well, you know, you get the gist. Rich Hall does a much better job of him because of this because he's an actual comedian. Whereas I'm just some dude. Um, 
Other films that are being pushed back, as you may be aware, Black Widow has been pushed back. It's now looking to come out in November time. Um, although I did hear a rumour that it might be pushed a bit further forward um, to October. Uh, so we might get that um, around autumn time, hopefully. Uh, that's going to be the first film that uh, is the first film in the phase four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, big fan of the MCU. Uh, been to see all the films at the cinema. Um, some of them several times. As I say, if you get a good film, I'll go back and see it again and again. Um, I think this year, one of the only films like that that I've done has been... Um, well, I went to see Star Wars Rise of the Skywalker. I think I had to see it twice just to make sure that it was as disappointing as I thought it was. Um, but other than that, the only film I've seen um, more than once this year uh, that's been released this year uh, is 1917, which is just just amazing, amazing. But we'll get onto that another time because I've got a soft spot for Sam Mendes as well. Um, this isn't the time of the place. Let's get through the news, people. Um, other films that have been put back, uh, unfortunately, uh, the Bond film, uh, Daniel Craig's last Bond film, No Time to Die. Now, I'm not sure what to expect from this film. Uh, again, Sam Mendes was making the previous ones and I thought he was doing a fantastic job. Uh, this isn't Sam Mendes. It's um, your man there, the one that did the True Detective series. It could, it could be good. I don't know. Um, I, I really don't know what to expect of this film. And I think, for the most part, uh, my opinion is being informed by Billie Eilish's theme tune. Which was just... It was Bond by numbers, really. It was just, like, the most formulaic. Um, didn't really have any kind of emotional strike. It didn't really have any kind of drama to it. And I kind of get the feeling that's what the movie's going to be like. I think it's going to be Bond by numbers. It won't have any real impact. But... I want to be wrong. I really, really do. I'm a big Bond fan. And God knows, even if it's bad, I'm probably going to see that a couple of times at the cinema because, you know, the, the set pieces are going to be fantastic and it's hopefully at least watchable. But we won't know until, uh, I think, I think that's coming out November time. Now, another film that's supposed to come out before the end of the year uh, or actually, no, a film that's supposed to be coming out uh, in June um, is Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, now we're here and that's actually been pushed back only to August. Now, that's that's some good news. Um, for those who haven't seen the, the DC, DC Comics, because uh, you've got Marvel Comics, you've got DC Comics. Marvel, obviously, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been a huge success. Even the films that have flopped have made a huge profit and have gone on to have sequels. So, you know, uh, DC tried to do the same thing with their huge back catalogue of uh, intellectual property. How could they go wrong? I mean, they have Superman, Batman, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, everyone. It seemed like a, a home run. Um, and for me personally, I think the studio shot themselves in the foot with those films because uh, Zack Snyder is a, a visionary director, but he is an artist. And what he does doesn't always tie in with what um, a committee would decide is the best course of action. So what often happens with his films is he makes the film that he wants to make. And then the studio steps in. And they 
tweak it and change it and reshoot bits of it, move some stuff around and change the... I mean, they even change the fucking colour of some stuff sometimes. It's, it's really quite awful. Um, they butcher his work. Then they release it and they're like, yeah, sorry, he's not very good. And it's, it's, it's driving me crazy. Um, when you leave him alone and you make him... And you let him um, do something like Watchmen. I mean... I think the Blu-ray version I've got on that is um, the extended version. It's like three and a quarter hours long. But every bit of it's watchable. It's fantastic. Visually, he knows how to make a, a film look fantastic. Um, and he makes some, some great moments. I think there's a great YouTube video by, I believe it's by the nerd writer, um, called Moments versus uh, Feeling. I don't know. But basically it shows how um, with DC films, they try to go for the impact of different visual moments. Um, whereas Marvel try to kind of make sure that the film has heart and it has character. So you feel empathy and compassion for the people on the screen. Now, Zack Snyder has the ability to do that, but the studios that he works with most of the time just want the spectacle. And they want to trim his films down, which usually means leaving out things like, I don't know, character development, plot, essential dialogue. Um, and they replace it with just a load of fireworks and really, really talented actors just saying, Hoo-ya! All right, my man! It's... Oh, Jesus. I uh, just... Those films are very, very disappointing. Except one. And that was Wonder Woman. Um... If you saw the first one, absolutely fantastic film. Really enjoyable. A classic, a classic, like, sort of superhero movie. Not overdoing it with the spectacle too much. There's a lot of practical work in there. Um, but it's character-driven. And, and you know, you, you've got time to develop the characters and their relationship between each other. Um, and it makes the, the impact of, of the film more significant when you see, you know certain people in peril and, and, and facing certain death, it means something to you because you're invested in these characters. But, uh, yeah, not, not so much with most of the other DC films. But in Wonder Woman, yes, fantastic. And from what I can tell, the uh, Wonder Woman 1984 uh, is looking like it's going to be more of the same, really. Um, a good, fun film, very colourful, very bright, very exciting. A, a comic book come to life, basically. And with a great cast as well, so... Um, yeah, hopefully that will come out in August uh, and um, DC can actually start putting together a decent run of films. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they did make Joker. Uh, and I think what they learned from that is that they don't need everything to tie into a massive universe to make a successful film. If you just let an artist do their thing. Anyway. Other films that have been put back, A Quiet Place 2. Um, yeah, it was supposed to be out a couple of months ago, but they're looking... Uh, well, they haven't actually got a release date at the moment. Um, so, yeah, we don't know when that's coming out. Hopefully, it's going to be released before the end of the year, but watch this space. Another film that's been put back and hasn't really been given um, a release date is Disney's Mulan, uh, the live-action remake that's following in... Uh, the footsteps of all of their, the remakes of their classic films that they're doing at the moment, like The Lion King uh, and Dumbo, um, which, let's face it, 
have all been a bit hit and miss so far. But who knows? Maybe this will be the one. But we'll have to wait. There's still no release date yet, so um, as soon as that comes out, we'll let you know. Fast and Furious 9 was supposed to be released this month, I believe. Uh, that's now been pushed back to next April, which is surprising. Um, you know, I understand that maybe they don't want to conflict with all the big films that are being pushed back to the end of the year. They want to have a bit of time of their own to, you know, just own that week at the cinema um, rather than compete with every other superhero film. I mean, you don't want it coming out at the same time as Wonder Woman and Black Widow and James Bond. You know, it's just, there's just too much. And that's that's the gonna, something that I think it's going to affect a lot of the film releases towards the end of the year. I think we're going to see a lot of dates being shifted around whilst people try to either compete or try desperately not to compete. Um, and I think if you were an independent filmmaker and you're releasing something around the same time as a Marvel film, you'd be like, can we put it back a week or forward a week? Either of those. Um, another film that's supposed to be released in November, uh, which, fingers crossed, will still be released in November, is uh, Mission Impossible 7. Yeah, 7. 7. I mean, the good thing about Mission Impossible films is they're not numbering them, so we don't get reminded of that every time we go to see them. I mean, when I go see Fast and Furious 9, I mean, yeah, having that number at the end of the film doesn't really do much. Um, and plus, I'll secretly know that, well, I say secretly, I will know that it's actually the 10th film, because we got the Hobbs and Shaw film, which to me was more enjoyable than the last four or five. Well, I mean, The Rock and Jason Statham somehow make a, a decent team. But yeah, Fast and Furious 9, not really looking forward to that too, too much. Mission Impossible 7, obviously it's not going to be called Mission Impossible 7 when it comes out. They do give it a name and, it, and it, they do give it an individual story. I think that's something people miss. Um, when you give a, a film sequel a title rather than a number, what you're saying is this is this story. It's not a follow-on from the last story. This isn't part nine of the story you already know. This is a new story. You know the characters. There may be some new ones, but this is a different story. So like with Ghost Protocol and, and Rogue Nation, stuff like that. Um, what was the last one? Fallout. Yeah. Great films. Really enjoyable. Um, full of tension. Full of suspense. But great performances and individual characters that you get to know uh, that are nuanced. They, they, they all bring something different to the, uh, the team, uh, which I think makes it fully enjoyable. And I think that's one of the smart things Tom Cruise has done with that, that franchise is he is the lead and it's mainly about him, but he surrounds himself with colourful characters and different actors of different backgrounds that really kind of add a, a little bit of more texture to the film. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But here's the thing. They're making uh, Mission Impossible 7 and 8 back to back. Oh, excuse me. So they're trying to save time by uh, doing both these films at the same time. Obviously, they're not going to be released back to back. There'll probably be eight to 12 months between them. But they've had to uh, um, cease filming for the time being. Um, as I say, that, that seven is due out in November, but they were filming eight at the same time. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, Hayley Atwell, um, best known, I think, for playing Peggy Carter in the uh, Marvel films and the uh, spin-off TV series. Um, she is due to uh, be 
one of the main actresses um, or ac- female actors that are joining the franchise in, in seven and eight. Um, and she's tried to assure reporters that um, her role is neither damsel in distress or femme fatale. And they're actually trying to do something quite interesting with her character, which I'm very excited about. I think Hayley Atwell is a fantastic actress. Um, we need to see more of her. Uh, she did Howard's End, a period drama uh, on for the BBC, which, you know, looked great, but I don't know. It's. I think they were hoping it was going to be. Um, it was going to ride on the success of Downton Abbey, but with, um, but with a greater, you know, source material. Um, I don't know if it really kind of did as well as they expected. But Hayley Atwell is a fantastic, fantastic actress, and I'm sure she'll bring something um, awesome to the franchise. Um, yeah, but let's see. Let's see. Um, in in so that's that's two bits of Tom Cruise news so far, um, Top Gun Maverick, Mission Impossible, uh, but that's not the only bit of Tom Cruise news that we have, um, because some of you may have heard this, and I really don't know what to make of it, but Tom Cruise has been speaking with Elon Musk about shooting a film in space, an actual, I mean I'm assuming it's going to be a sci-fi film. If it's a period drama, that'd be a really, really bizarre thing to do. But yes, Tom Cruise, Elon Musk talking about making a film in space. And dear God, if if anyone can do it, it's the hard work and determination of Tom Cruise and the crazy brilliance that is Elon Musk. Elon Musk is one of those characters, like he's one weird and worrying decision away from being the ultimate Bond villain. I mean, literally, you know, I'm sure he's going to send up one of his uh, spaceships one of these days and they're like, okay, is the new satellite, go- satellite going up? And he's going to be like, satellite, you mean death ray? I don't know. That's that's probably a bit much. But um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, a Bond villain is going to be based on Elon Musk pretty soon because, I mean, he almost is one. Um, just turns out to be a good guy. Um, but anyway... Tom Cruise, Elon Musk, film in space. We'll see if that actually happens. Um, I'm very intrigued. Uh, hopefully it can happen. I know they've done some uh, zero-G filming in the past. Uh, they do it a lot when they're um, filming about like, sort of space. Like Apollo 13, for example. They used what they call the... Uh, the is it the Vomit Comet? Uh, it's a plane, a huge um, cargo plane, which flies up and then immediately dives down to uh, create a, a, a sort of zero-G effect. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's been done in the past, but actually filming in actual space... Whew, wow. Um, I'd, I'd hate to see the health and safety checklist for that one. But, yeah, we'll see what actually happens. Um, now, that, that's pretty much it for film news this week. But uh, there's something else I wanted to mention in the news section because, uh, of course, films that were being released now, a lot of them were hoping to get on the film festival circuit to try to get some kind of production deal or distribution deal, not production deal, distribution deal, um, and also just drum up some interest for the actual film itself. Uh, Now, unfortunately, most of these film festivals have been cancelled due to the, the, the pandemic, but... That doesn't mean to say that they are not still taking place. Um, 
films like uh, the Cannes Film Festival, Tribeca, Sundance, they're all still happening. But what they're doing is they're, there's 20 different film festivals that are getting together for uh, an event called We Are One, a global film festival, which is taking place from May 29th through to June 7th. And it's going to showcase films from all 20 different festivals that were due to take place in the summer. Um, and viewers will be encouraged to make donations to the WHO's COVID-19 Solidarity Response Fund. So if you go onto YouTube um, and some other streaming sites, it's going to be completely free. So you can watch uh, new films that are coming out, films that would have got uh, a limited uh, theatrical release in a lot of cases. Um, and again, I'm going to be scouring through these films to see if I can find any hidden gems things that you should pay attention to, things that you should check out. Um, but yeah, go on YouTube. And as I say, look out for We Are One, a global film festival. Uh, it's on from May 29th to June 7th. And um, yep, you'll get to see all the films that would have been showcased at Cannes and Sundance. Okay, so that's pretty much it for news. Uh, now we're going to get on with our reviews. Now, the first film that we're going to be reviewing... Uh, obviously, as I say, I would normally be starting off with a big cinematic release, but there's no cinema right now. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to just concentrate on films that you can watch right now on streaming platforms um, and films that, you know, you should probably give a chance. Now, the first one I'm going to talk about is Extraction. Now, Extraction is a, a film by Sam Hargreave, Hargrave, sorry, uh, who is a first-time theatrical director and is best known for being a stunt coordinator and choreographer for um, massive films like uh, Atomic Blonde and uh, a lot of the Marvel franchise films, which I believe is where he got to know Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth is the star of this film, um, and he plays Tyler Rake, uh, a mercenary who's basically been recruited to... Uh, recapture um, a drug lord's son who's been kidnapped by a rival gang and being held for ransom. Um, now, I might sound like I'm getting a little bit vague with the plot in this film, but uh, that's actually how the film goes. Um, the plot is a little bit vague. And uh, whilst I do think it's a, a fantastic bit of work from a first-time feature director... Uh, I kind of feel that um, someone who's focused primarily on action sequences uh, and stunt choreography, things like that, um, cinematically, it's a beautiful film to watch. It's a, the, the action sequences are breathtaking. And trust me when I say they break new ground with this film. Um, the, the, um, Sam himself uh, would be running around with the camera and jumping off buildings with the actors to really get in amongst the action in a way that I've never really seen before. Um, and I know that a lot of people are trying to do some interesting things with uh, camera work these days to try to get more right in the thick of it. But there are chase sequences in this film where you can't really figure out, first of all, what's going on because, well, I mean, you, you can figure out what's going on, but as far as the camera work's concerned, you're like, I can't believe I'm following this shot in the way that I am. Um, and I don't really want to go into too much more detail about that because I do feel I, I, I will not be doing spoilers for films. There may be a, a time in, in the future where um, there are individual episodes which are all about 
a certain director, a certain film genre, a certain this, that, and the other. A certain film I might break down in, in absolute detail, but with uh, film reviews that I want you to go out and watch, I don't want to tell you what's going to happen. But I do want to give you an understanding of what to expect. So, spoiler free, um, this is a fantastic action film. It is relentless. I mean, it kind of goes straight in and, uh, it, you know, throws you into the deep end. Um, and it's basically about this mercenary. He's got to get this son back. Um, he's hired by someone who can't afford him, um, but they've got a plan to try to screw over the team. Um, and this creates a cat and mouse uh, through through India. Um, this is the thing as well. I, I can't remember ever seeing a, um, an action film based in India. But here we have a, a really, really good one. Um, and we have some great Indian actors as well. Randeep Huda um, plays... What was his character's name again? Hang on a second. Let me just check this. Um, he plays Saju, who's basically the uh, a former Special Forces guy who wants to... You know, he's got to get the son back for his, his boss, the criminal drug lord. Um, but the way he goes about it, he tries to do things in a very clever way. He tries to play the team and... It creates a situation where, as I say, there's a cat and mouse with um, the team who are, are trying to save the boy. And there's another group of people that are trying to stop him from saving the boy. And there's another group of people that are trying to take the boy from the people who saved the boy, from the people who took the boy originally. I, You know what? Don't worry about the plot too much. This is just an action-packed film which uh, delivers on high-octane, full-fueled, cliché film review words it's it's just good fun um i wouldn't say it's a, a really good film that i'd again it's not one that i'd go back to very often i would uh, in reference to the action sequences and how they're shot but the unfortunate thing is that uh whilst this does boast uh, a script that was um the screenplay was by joe russo of the russo brothers um and the russo brothers did work on this story together it's it's the how can i put this um it seems like everyone has something profound to say every single time they speak and unless you have your characters having ordinary human conversations about irrelevant irreverent stuff then you don't really base them in reality and what i find with these characters is that none of them really seem real um and it kind of takes you out of it a bit too much. Uh, everyone has like some kind of really, really profound piece of wisdom to offer another character, which pushes them to do something really exciting and, and you know, find inspiration. But I mean, it's everyone from like jarhead mercenaries to um, scared little 10 year old boys who speak English as a second language. Suddenly they're dropping like Shakespearean type bombs of wisdom and it's just like really every single time every single time none of them are just talking about how like they hate the fact that shoelaces come undone um i always talk about tarantino's films one of the things that brings his characters to life is that they're not really talking about anything too relevant to the actual film you know nothing not all dialogue needs to be pushing the story forward some of it just needs to establish the fact that these are people that you might know um, like Pulp Fiction when they talk about cheeseburgers. It's got nothing to do with the film. Absolutely nothing to do with the film. But it, it humanises those characters. 
and what we're finding in Extraction is that a lot of the characters just seem like they've got this really wooden dialogue um, and it's just served, it's just there to kind of like push you forward to the next action sequence, you know, to keep it going. Um, but you don't really connect with any of the characters. And um, I enjoyed the film, hated the ending. Um, and, and trust me, get to the end of this film, the final sequence just before the credits come up, um, because there is rumours now that, pardon me, they are looking to make a sequel. Um, but how they'll go about it, I really don't know. Um, and to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting great things. Um, I did enjoy this film. I'm probably not giving you that impression right now, but I did enjoy this film. Um, and you should check it out. It's on Netflix. Um, so give it a try. Uh, but watch it with an open mind, because as I say, first time director... Um, really into his action sequences. He is a stuntman after all. Um, so yeah, give it a bit of time. But um, Extraction, Netflix. Chris Hemsworth is fantastic. And the great thing about this role for him, he gets to be Australian. That's wonderful. People forget that Chris Hemsworth is an Australian man. Um, you know, anyway. The next film I want to talk about, um, Bad Boys for Life. Whew. Again, a sequel I don't think anyone was asking for. Um, the good thing about the, the original Bad Boys films were, you know, it was one of the last good buddy cop films. Um, buddy cop films were huge throughout, like, sort of the 80s and 90s. Uh, you had so many different things going on with different, like, sort of... I mean, yeah, for a while a lot of them were involving dogs. So I, I say that because I'm trying to think of buddy cop films. I'm thinking immediately Turner and Hooch and K9. Anyway, there are other great buddy cop films, but Bad Boys was one that stood out. Martin Lawrence and Will Smith really were just at the top of their game when these films came out. Uh, Martin Lawrence was one of the most uh, renowned stand-up comedians, um, a fantastic comedic talent. Uh, Will Smith was breaking through as um, a musical artist turned actor that was taken everyone by surprise really um and you know bad boys the first film great fun the second film they kind of pushed it a bit more and went a bit over the top of the action but you know it was kind of self-aware and kind of tongue-in-cheek and we loved it it was it was good fun bad boys for life yeah i'd heard positive reviews i didn't come away with a positive feeling I don't know why this film was made. It's a very generic plot. It's a very predictable plot. Um, and most of the film kind of plays out as a homage to the originals. And um, I don't know. It doesn't stand on its own two feet, this film. It rests on you being a huge fan of the first two. And it keeps giving little subtle nods and winks to those films. Just to kind of say like, huh? Huh? Remember? Remember? Remember that? Yeah, but apart from that, not really much of a storyline. I mean, the story's very, very predictable. I mean, as soon as this thing starts happening, you're like, oh, I, I think I know what's going on. And there are no surprises through it. Even there's one surprising um, instant very early on in the film, which kind of sets it up. And um, you're supposed to kind of feel a sort of worry or panic or kind of trepidation about a significant character. But at no point is that really pushed. 
you kind of get the impression like, all right, if you'd done this with someone else, I'd have I'd have been you know. But it's it's, it's one of those things. The hero always makes it to the end, and um, yeah, the way they set up this movie, you just think to yourself like, ah, uh, well that that's supposed to be the the main bit of tension is like sort of. Will this significant character make it through to the end? And you kind of know. You kind of know because it's their movie. Um, and other actors are thrown in just to make sort of cameo appearances. And it's just... I say the whole thing plays out like a homage to the original Bad Boys films. And for me, it just fell flat. It was just... It was too long, even though it wasn't very long. Um, and it was just boring. The jokes were recycled. Um... Will Smith, I, I will say, gives it his best. I don't think he's actually able to just phone it in anymore. I think he's got too much practice at being a decent actor. Um, that, even with these films, it, it's kind of weird watching Martin Lawrence as well. I know he's been through a lot in his private life over, uh, private life over the last like 10-15 years. Um, he's had to deal with a lot of stuff going on. And um, he doesn't seem like himself anymore. Um, I don't really know. I don't want to go too deep into like sort of why that is. But he kind of felt like sort of he was struggling and he was really kind of having to, you know, drag his heels all the way through this film um, like he was treading water. And I just I just didn't really feel it. Um, there were moments that I kind of enjoyed, but. I found most of the film forgettable, if I'm honest. I just wasn't a huge fan. Um, I'm, I'm sure they're probably going to make another one. Uh, they really do set it up at the end for a possible sequel, spin-off. And, you know, if people are going to watch it, I mean, this this film cost $90 million to make, which, you know, with current films, that's, that's quite a low budget. Although it's not spe- set in space and no one has superpowers, so I guess yeah, it's understandable. But it raked in 419. And, you know, when something makes more than four times its budget, if they say, can we make a sequel? The studio usually says, yeah. This is this is a moneymaker. We don't really care if you've got a good story or not. A lot of times, um, these uh, productions are greenlit before they even sit down and start working with the script. So, I think that's what happened with this film. I think this was greenlit, and they were like, yeah, just go ahead and make us all nostalgic. We'll love it no matter what. Well, I didn't. Now, my last film is an independent film. As promised, there is an independent film. Uh, and this one is Blue Ruin. Now, Blue Ruin came out in 2013, so it's not a new film. But again, I'm trying to go for films that I think you may have missed or um, you might not have caught first time round. It's a, a film by uh, director Jeremy Solnier. Uh, now... I mentioned earlier, um, your man who's doing the Bond films. Oh, geez, I wish I could remember his name. I've got a computer right in front of me. I could Google it, but such is life. Um, now, Jeremy, uh, I know he's actually gone on from his film work to... Uh, uh, he did the last series of um, True Detective with, with um, Mahersha, Mahersha Ali. I'm butchering that name. And I do apologise. Um, I know he's a great actor. Um, and I know he's going to be Blade. Um, and I know he got... Did he get an Oscar for the Green Book? I know he got nominated. Um, but yeah. Uh, 
he's he's got a couple of Oscars now. So he's he's a very talented actor. Um, not what we're talking about right now. So let's get back to the movie that we're talking about, Blue Ruin. Jeremy Solnier. This is part two of what he's referred to as his inept hero trilogy. Now, Jeremy started out, he made a, a small student film uh, called Murder Party, in which um, a kind of sad, desperate loser finds an invite to a murder party at Halloween. And so he dresses up in his favourite costume and he goes down and he doesn't realise that it's not just a theme for a Halloween party. It's a murder party. They're, they're going to murder someone. And what he doesn't realise is by turning up with his invitation that he's volunteered to be the guy getting murdered. And he's got to try to escape that situation. Great fun. I mean, it looks like he made the film for probably about £7.50. But it really was a great film. And when it came to him making um, his next feature, Blue Ruin, he wanted to do it properly. He wanted to do an actual feature film with a real budget, a real crew, professionally made. But again, didn't have any money. So he actually started a Kickstarter campaign. One that uh, MTV later referred to as the perfect example of what crowdfunding can accomplish. Um, and, yeah, made Blue Ruin with his friend Mason Blair. Mason Blair is an actor that worked with him. I believe they, they were like student friends together, but he worked with him on his first film, uh, Murder Party. And he actually takes the lead in this role, in, in this film, uh, which is the story about uh, a guy called Dwight Evans, who is um, living in his car, and um, he's been living there ever since tragedy struck. And uh, his parents were murdered. Um, he's kind of just left society and just walked away from his normal life just to kind of be a recluse um, and, yeah, live in his car. Um, he looks after himself by... Uh, we see him sneaking into people's homes and using their their facilities when they're not home. So, like, having a bath and a shave, putting on some fresh, clean clothes and then jumping out the window and running away. Um this film basically picks up on Dwight, as I say, living as a vagrant, and um, he finds out uh, a police officer comes to see him and tells him that the person who went down for murdering his parents is getting out and just wanted to warn him in case the news caught him by surprise. And he becomes a man on a mission. He decides that the one thing he wants to do is get his revenge. His life ended pretty much when his parents were murdered. And he wants to um, get some payback. So he decides to go after the guy who killed his parents. But this is not, you know, a trained killer. He's not some guy who's recently back from Afghanistan and he's got a certain set of skills that makes him a nightmare for people like this. He's, he's not one of those. He's just some dude, some pleb, some nobody. Um, and for that reason, he his way of going about his revenge is catastrophic um, and you know just puts him in a much worse situation than he could ever have imagined um, and it's another one of those films where it's another cat and mouse type thing where he goes after someone and ends up becoming hunted himself um, and his only way of, of looking for some kind of salvation is to see it through to the very end. Um, but he is not the best equipped and he's not mentally prepared for what comes for him. Um, but it's a fantastic film. It is one of the most engrossing thrillers I've ever seen. Um, Mason Blair 
or Macon Blair, I'm not really sure how that's pronounced. Uh, he gives a fantastic, stellar performance. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a really well put together film. It'll keep you guessing all the way through because you really don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, nothing about it's predictable. Um, and the characters are very, very relatable. One thing about doing an inept hero trilogy, as like, I mean, with like Extraction, you know, the guy was a mercenary. He was jacked up. He was, he was very, very much skilled at these kind of situations. In Blue Ruin, our protagonist has no set of skills whatsoever, and it shows the the kind of disasters that he sets up in his, um, you know, quest for revenge. Uh, put him in such a fantastic situation where you are on the edge of your seat, wondering just how the fuck he's going to deal with it. How he's going to get out of the situation, how he's going to survive until the end, and whether or not he can, you know, get what he wanted uh, without having to sacrifice too much in the process. Um, wonderful, wonderful film. Um, the third part of the trilogy, in case you are wondering, is uh, Green Room, starring uh, Sir Patrick Stewart as um, a violent American Nazi punk gang leader type person. Um, and uh, a punk band, including uh, the, the the late and great Anton Yelchin. Um, they've got to fight their way free from uh, a bunch of Nazis that are trying to kill them. I'll get onto that one another time, I'm sure. But for now, Blue Ruin. That's my independent release that I think you should go on. It's on Netflix, and it's a fantastic film. You will not be disappointed. It's one of the most original, um, interesting, uh, you know, in-depth thrillers uh, that I think is out there right now and uh, definitely a filmmaker to keep an eye on. Um, if you'd like this, do go and check out uh, Green Book as well. Oh, Green Room, sorry. Green Book is uh, Mahersha Ali's film. I'm, I, I apologise if this has been a confusing podcast, ladies and gentlemen. This is my first time doing this. Um, it's something I'm very excited about. I love talking about films. I hope that has come across. Um, I will do a bit more preparation for the next one because... God knows I've just waffled. But we've got through it, ladies and gentlemen. We've got to the end of the podcast. Um, so thank you for joining me. Um, I hope I've given you something to think about, some films to watch um, that help you through this whole situation, this lockdown. Um, I'm going to go off now and watch some more films. Uh, in case you're wondering, films that I'm going to be watching over the next week. Um, well, uh, the first one I'll be watching is Edge of Extraction. Oh, no, Edge of Extinction, sorry. My fault. Um, I, I get this one wrong sometimes because um, I was lucky enough to go to an advanced screening of the film last year um, and it had a different title. So I was a little bit... I was a little bit taken by surprise when they finally released it, but um, it's got a different title. Okay, so just give me a second. Basically... Uh, Edge of Extinction is going to be... It's, it's a film about a young man who's um, been on his own for a while. It's like a post-apocalyptic film. Um, we don't really go into too much depth about the hows and whys, which I think is always a great idea for a post-apocalyptic film. Don't focus too much on why the world ended. You know, leave people guessing. Leave a little bit to the imagination. And that's what this film does. It doesn't really kind of go into depth about, you know, why the world's ended. But we've got a young man who's um, on his own and surviving on his own and for the most part he has survived because he's on his own um but then he meets someone on one of his little scavenging journeys 
that turns his life upside down and can completely changes his situation, uh, but forces him to see the world in a different way in order to um, accomplish what he needs to accomplish. I'm looking forward to seeing this because it's the final cut of the film and I want to see how it all came together. So I'm going to be watching that this week. That's on Amazon Prime. Um, I'm also going to be watching a few other films. I haven't really decided. Oh, I'm going to watch Birds of Prey. That's going to be reviewed next week. Um, Edge of Extinction is probably going to be my independent film. Um, but I'm still looking for another big film. If you think there's something going on right now, something that's just dropped on Netflix, um, Code 8 maybe, I might give that a try. Um, or something on Prime that you think is worth a look. Give me a shout, drop me a message. We're on Facebook at the Following Feature Podcast. We're on Instagram at, yes, the Following Feature Podcast. And if I haven't set it up already, I think I have, Twitter at the Following Feature Podcast. Um, give me a shout. Let me know what you think of the podcast. If you've got any film recommendations for me, anything I need to know about films that I've already reviewed that I might have not mentioned, um, I'm always willing to hear about it. So until next week, ladies and gentlemen, and everyone else, have yourself uh, a lovely week. Enjoy the weather. Stay safe. Stay home. Don't listen to Boris. Stay home. Watch a film. And I will see you next week for more films, reviews, and news. Uh, this has been the Following Feature Podcast. I'm your host, Arthur Wilde. And uh, thank you very much. I'll see you next week. Smell you later. <laughs>